Chapter Nine of the Untilled Field by George Moore. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by Noel Badrian. The Clerk's Quest. For thirty years, Edward Dempsey had worked low down in the list of clerks in the firm of Quinn and Wee. He did his work so well that he seemed born to do it, and it was felt that any change in which Dempsey was concerned would be unlucky. Managers had looked at Dempsey doubtingly and had left him in his habits. New partners had come into the business, but Dempsey showed no sign of interest. He was interested only in his desk. There it was by the dim window. There were his pens, there was his pen-wiper, there was the ruler, there was the blotting-pad. Dempsey was always the first to arrive and the last to leave. Once in thirty years of service he had accepted a holiday. It had been a topic of conversation all the morning, and the clerks tittered when he came into the bank in the afternoon, saying he had been looking into the shop windows all the morning, and had come down to the bank to see how they were getting on. An obscure, clandestine, taciturn little man, occupying in life only the space necessary to bend over a desk, and whose conical head leaned to one side as if in token of his humility. It seemed that Dempsey had no other ambition than to be allowed to stagnate at a desk to the end of his life and this modest ambition would have been realized had it not been for a slight accident, the single accident that had found its way into Dempsey's well-ordered and closely guarded life. One summer's day, when the heat of the areas was rising and filling the open window, Dempsey's somnolescent senses were moved by a soft and suave perfume. At first he was puzzled to say whence it came, then he perceived that it came from the bundle of cheques which he held in his hand, and then that the odiferous paper was a pale pink cheque in the middle of the bundle. He had hardly seen a flower for thirty years, and could not determine whether the odour was that of mignonette or honeysuckle or violet. But at that moment the cheques were called for. He handed them to his superior, and with cool hand and clear brain continued to make entries in the ledger until the bank closed. But that night, just as he was falling asleep, a remembrance of the insinuating perfume returned to him. He wondered whose cheque it was, and regretted not having looked at the signature and many times during the succeeding weeks he paused as he was making entries in the ledger to think if the haunting perfume were rose, lavender, or mignonette. It was not the scent of rose, he was sure of that. And a vague swaying of hope began. Dreams that had died or had never been born floated up like things from the depths of the sea, and many old things that he had dreamed about, or had never dreamed at all, drifted about. Out of the depths of life, a hope that he had never known, or that the severe rule of his daily life had checked long ago, began its struggle for life. And when the same sweet odour came again, 
he knew now it was the scent of heliotrope his heart was lifted and he was overcome in a sweet possessive trouble he sought for the cheque amid the bundle of cheques and finding it he pressed the paper to his face the cheque was written in a thin feminine handwriting and was signed henrietta brown and the name and the handwriting were pregnant with occult significances in dempsey's disturbed mind his hand paused amid the entries and he grew suddenly aware of some dim shadowy form gracile and sweet-smelling as the spring moist shadow of wandering cloud emanation of earth or woman herself dempsey pondered and his absent-mindedness was noticed and occasioned comment among the clerks for the first time in his life he was glad when the office hours were over he wanted to be alone he wanted to think he felt he must abandon himself to the new influence that had so suddenly and unexpectedly entered his life henrietta brown the name persisted in his mind like a half-forgotten half-remembered tune and in his efforts to realize her beauty he stopped before the photographic displays in the shop windows but none of the famous or infamous celebrities there helped him in the least he could only realize henrietta brown by turning his thoughts from without and seeking the intimate sense of her perfumed cheques the end of every month brought a cheque from henrietta brown and for a few moments the clerk was transported and lived beyond himself an idea had fixed itself in his mind he knew not if henrietta brown was young or old pretty or ugly married or single the perfume and the name were sufficient and could no longer be separated from the idea now forcing its way through the fissures in the failing brain of this poor little bachelor clerk that idea of light and love and grace so inherent in man but which rigorous circumstance had compelled dempsey to banish from his life dempsey had had a mother to support for many years and had found it impossible to economize but since her death he had laid by about a hundred and fifty pounds he thought of this money with awe and awed by his good fortune he thought how much more he might save before he was forced to leave his employment and to have touched a penny of his savings would have seemed to him a sin near to sacrilege yet he did not hesitate for a single moment to send henrietta brown whose address he had been able to obtain through the bank books a diamond brooch which had cost twenty pounds he omitted to say whence it had come and for days he lived in a warm wonderment satisfied in the thought that she was wearing something that he had seen and touched his ideal was now by him and always and its dominion was so complete that he neglected his duties at the bank and was censured by the amazed manager the change of his condition was so obvious that it became the subject for gossip and jokes were now beginning to pass into serious conjecturing dempsey took no notice and his plans matured amid jokes and theories the desire to write and reveal himself to his beloved had become imperative and after some very slight hesitation for he was moved more by instinct than by reason 
he wrote a letter urging the fatality of the circumstances that separated them and explaining rather than excusing this revelation of his identity his letter was full of deference but at the same time it left no doubt as to the nature of his attachments and hopes the answer to this letter was a polite note begging him not to persist in this correspondence and warning him that if he did it would become necessary to write to the manager of the bank but the return of his brooch did not dissuade dempsey from the pursuit of his ideal and as time went by it became more and more impossible for him to refrain from writing love letters and sending occasional presents of jewellery when the letters and jewellery were returned to him he put them away carelessly and he bought the first sparkle of diamonds that caught his fancy and forwarded ring bracelet and earring with whatever words of rapturous love that came up in his mind one day he was called into the manager's room severely reprimanded and eventually pardoned in consideration of his long and faithful services but the reprimands of his employers were of no use and he continued to write to henrietta brown growing more and more careless of his secret dropping brooches about the office and letters at last the story was whispered from desk to desk dempsey's dismissal was the only course open to the firm and it was with much regret that the partners told their old servant that his services were no longer required to their surprise dempsey seemed quite unaffected by his dismissal he even seemed relieved and left the bank smiling thinking of henrietta bestowing no thought on his want of means he did not even think of providing himself with money by the sale of some of the jewellery he had about him nor of going to his lodgings and packing up his clothes he did not think how he should get to edinburgh it was there that she lived he thought of her even to the exclusion of the simplest means of reaching her and was content to walk about the streets in happy mood watching for glimpses of some evanescent phantom at the wood's edge wearing a star on her forehead or catching sight in the wood's depths of a glistening shoulder and feet flying towards the reeds full of happy aspiration he wandered seeking the country through the many straggling villages that hang like children round the skirts of dublin and passing through one of these at nightfall and feeling tired he turned into the bar of an inn and asked for bread and cheese come a long way governor said one of two rough fellows i am going a long way replied dempsey i am going north very far north and what may ye be going north for if i make bold to ask i am going to the lady i love and i am taking her beautiful presents of jewellery the two rough fellows exchanged glances and it is easy to imagine how dempsey was induced to let them have his diamonds so that inquiries might be made of a friend round the corner regarding their value after waiting a little while dempsey paid for his bread and cheese and went in search of the thieves but the face of henrietta brown obliterated all remembrance of thieves and diamonds and he wandered for a few days sustained by his dream and the crusts that his appearance drew from the pitiful 
at last he even neglected to ask for a crust and foodless followed the beckoning vision from sunrise to sundown it was a soft quiet summer's night when dempsey lay down to sleep for the last time he was very tired he had been wandering all day and threw himself on the grass by the roadside he lay there looking up at the stars thinking of henrietta knowing that everything was slipping away and he passing into a diviner sense henrietta seemed to be coming nearer to him and revealing herself more clearly and when the word of death was in his throat and his eyes opened for the last time it seemed to him that one of the stars came down from the sky and laid its bright face upon his shoulder end of the clark's quest